Hey, good morning, People's Church. How are you? You glad to be in God's house today? You all right with who you see the next two for a little bit longer? You all right with them? Hey, we want to welcome everybody here today. I want to say a special welcome. I know we've already welcomed our first-time guests. We're so glad that you're here. Thanks for coming out and uh, just being a part of what God's doing here at People's Church. It is an extraordinary season. God is doing so many, many cool things. My name is Scotty Gibbons. I'm a part of the team here and a part of the preaching team. And so if you're visiting with us, you got to make sure you come back when Pastor Herbert is preaching because he's a phenomenal preaching. But just in, in, in the season that we're in right now, it's been extraordinary. Some of you, many of you, a uh, record-breaking number of you were at Deeper Night this past Wednesday night. Come on, let me hear from you if you were at Deeper Night. Yeah, all of our campuses uh, experiencing Deeper Night. It was just a wonderful, wonderful time. And uh, man, even since our early morning prayer meetings that kicked off our year and then seeing God move at Deeper Night and on weekends, just, just seeing God bring so many people to faith in Jesus Christ. It's an extraordinary season. And Pastor Herbert, man, he's just been pouring. He's been preaching. He's been investing. He's been leading. And so this weekend, man, he's here at People's Church, but they're just worshiping together as a family. So I just encourage you to continue to pray for our pastor and for his family because God is using them in a mighty, mighty way. Can you put your hands together? Let's just honor Pastor Herbert and Tiffany Cooper for the way they're leading the church. So fun to be a part of what God's doing. And then, uh, hey, I might just mention for any of you that, uh, you know, maybe you've been like uh, living under a rock for the last couple of weeks and you hadn't heard about this. So let me, let me update you. Like some of you have not heard there's something called the coronavirus going around. I think like two of you maybe didn't hear about that. How many have heard about that? Like once or a million times over the last couple of weeks, the coronavirus. Well, hey, we certainly want to be praying for those who have been uh, impacted by that and pray for their healing. Uh, there was a report that, that two have been identified in Oklahoma ha- having contracted the coronavirus in the Tulsa area who had been traveling internationally. We want to pray for them. Thank the Lord. Thus far, none have been uh, located here in the Oklahoma City area, so we need to continue to pray for safety and protection there by saying amen to that. So I just want to make sure that you knew as a church body, as a church family, that that is certainly something that we pay attention to and we take very, very seriously. And uh, if you've uh, been around People's Church for any matter of time, you know that we not only love Jesus, we love cleanliness too. I mean, we just really like that. And so whether it's uh, disinfecting uh, the building, the door handles, the bathrooms, the, the kids area, if you've heard Pastor Herbert preach more than once, you've probably heard him refer to himself as a self-proclaimed germaphobe. Anybody ever heard Pastor Herbert talk about that? I mean, he, he talks about Jesus sanitizer. I mean, that's kind of the way it works with Pastor Herbert. So way before the coronavirus, you're going to see some sanitizer around this place. You're going to see people clean it during the coronavirus. After the coronavirus is long gone, he'll still be sanitizing watching. But especially during this season, I want to say thank you to the staff. The team is working so hard and very diligently cleaning and taking extra just precautionary measures. I mean, they're going kamikaze with Clorox wipes everywhere. I mean, they're just saying, yes, cleanliness is next to holiness. And so let's make this place clean. And I also want to say thank you to you for just doing your part uh, to use wisdom and, and to be smart with it. Because how many of you know, we, we not only need to rebuke the coronavirus, we also need to wash our hands. Can I get a witness, anybody? 
So, you know, do, do what you can. Do your part. God loves common sense. He gave you your brain. He's never offended when you use it. So wash your hands. If you, if you are feeling sick, uh, man, that's when you just you stay home and, and you watch online. Praise the Lord for all who are watching online right now, especially if you didn't feel so well today. You lost that hour of sleep. You felt like it was 10 hours lost, and you're like, I'm going to worship online today. Listen. Thanks for being wise if you're struggling with some type of sickness or a fever. And, and even uh, parents, if you can just pay attention to that. You know, if your kiddos are sick, some of y'all are like, hey, get up out of bed. Like, mom, I don't feel well. You're like, this is my only break from you. All weekend, get up. You're going to child care today. No. If they're not feeling well, leave them at home. But uh, thanks so much just for all you do. This is the practical. I had a dude. I had a dude. Uh, all right, now I just moved into venting. I just slid right over into venting right now. I had a brother the other day sneeze in his hand right when we were going to shake hands. Like, hey, hey. I was like, man, have you ever heard about the, about the elbow sneeze? Come on, man, where you been? Have you ever heard? You go, I can't do that. So I punched him. I just punched him. I didn't punch him. I shook his hand because I'm a pastor. I thought he may not live for Jesus if I didn't shake his hand. And then I went straight and washed my hands and bathed in sanitizer, gargled it and everything. But anyway, <laughs> be smart in how you sneeze. Wash your hands. And, and here's the biggest thing is, is don't live in fear. Right? The devil wants everybody to panic and freak out. He'll use anything that he can to get people to fear. But listen, this is what Paul writes to Timothy. He says, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love and power and a sound mind. Can you say amen to that? So, no, we're not going to live in fear. We're going to use common sense, and, and we're going to be smart. But, man, we're going to be just blessed by the Lord, protected by the Lord. So tell your neighbor right now, don't live in fear. Tell your other neighbor, but do use sanitizer. <laughs> do use sanitizer. Hey, we're continuing in this series on encounter because we want more of God. See, here's what's really cool. It doesn't matter if this is your first day to ever come to a church, or maybe you've been coming to this church for six months or for a year. Maybe you've been coming to the people's church for the last 130 years of your life, however long. You've been loving Jesus, serving Jesus, no matter where you are in your journey with God, there's always more. Aren't you thankful that there's more of God that he has for you? You can experience more of God. You can encounter God in a personal way, and that more can become a part of your relationship with Jesus. He has that for you. That's what this whole series on encounter has been all about. Specifically, a look at the subject of worship. Pastor Herbert kicked this off last week, and this will be a series that goes on for the next few weeks. You don't want to miss a single weekend. Pastor kicked it off talking about how to encounter the presence of God and how to experience the power of the presence of God. And the reality is, is that God is everywhere all the time. You can't go anywhere that God is not there. And yet pastor taught us about how there's a difference in God's omnipresence and God's manifest presence. Meaning while God is everywhere all the time, God is the one who says, I show up in special ways. I manifest or express my presence in unique ways in response to certain things that you'll find in Scripture. And certainly, the major part of that would be as you begin to praise the Lord, as you begin to worship God, you will encounter God's presence 
in a unique way. I'm curious by a show of hands, how many of you would say you have ever been in any type of worship experience? Maybe is that a deeper night? Maybe it's on a Sunday morning. Uh, maybe you're just worshiping the Lord in your car, but as you begin to worship God, you just... It was undeniable. It wasn't something that you just made up. You just, in a unique way, you sense the presence of God. Wave at me if that's ever happened to you. So if you're new, if you're checking this out, you're like, I don't know. Hey, everybody in here ain't lying. You see what I'm saying? Like, it's truth. You can encounter the presence of God, and God moves in response to the prayers and the praises of his people. Well, today, I want to talk to you on this subject that I'm calling the secret weapon of worship. The secret weapon of worship. How many of you know that all of us experience battles in our lives? Come on, anybody ever been through a battle before? Wave at me. Anybody in a battle right now? You got some struggles going on in your life. Anybody got any battles going on? Listen, sometimes we experience battles. Let's just be honest. Let's just be real right out of the gate. Sometimes we're in the middle of a battle because I signed up for it. You ever signed up for a battle before? How many of you have ever brought a battle on yourself? Come on, be honest. You ever brought a battle on? You're in the middle of a struggle and fighting like, why in the world? Oh, that's right. <laughs> I started this one. You ever found yourself? You brought a battle to yourself? And then there are others that people bring to you. You didn't ask for it. You didn't want it. You didn't invite it. It didn't wait on an invitation. It just came to you. And then there are some that we're going to learn that through Scripture that God brings us to certain battles. Well, when you come to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, there's a king, the king of Judah, by the name of Jehoshaphat. And he experienced this moment of facing a battle where God spoke something very unique to his life as to how to respond to this predicament. And I think that it's something that can help all of us today, regardless of whether you brought it on yourself, whether God's led you to a place of, of, of trial or challenge or somebody's tried to attack you. I believe that there's something in here for all of us. And so let's look at this today as we look at 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1. If you're ready for this, say, uh-huh. Come on, if you mean it, say, oh, yeah. Tell your neighbor this is for you. Get ready. All right, 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 1, it says, after this, somebody say after this. What is the after this talking about? Well, it's talking about Jehoshaphat, who is experiencing a personal spiritual reformation, and he's leading the people in a spiritual reformation. They had been a people who had gotten distracted and sidetracked with, with, with idolatry or, or, or getting involved in battles that, battles that they should not get involved in, and so he's experiencing this personal spiritual uh, transformation and reformation, and he's leading the people to seek God as well. And and yet it says on the heels of this, after this movement towards God, after this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, even throw in some of those Munites, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. After this, he still faced a battle. Sometimes I do something dumb and I bring it on myself. Sometimes somebody is being mean and they bring it to me. Sometimes I'm doing the right thing and I'm leaning into God and I'm chasing after the things of God and on my way to worshiping God, I'll run into a battle. Anybody ever experienced that before? Maybe you find yourself going, man, I'd never been to a deeper night before. And so I went this past Wednesday night and it was powerful and I experienced God. And then after that, I've experienced more of the devil than I ever have before too. 
It's like the devil turned up the heat. Uh, about the time that you decided that you're going to start off this year and be committed to the things of God. You've been reading your Bible. You've been faithful to come to church. Maybe you got involved and you're serving on a dream team. And it feels like all of hell is coming against your life. Can I suggest to you that that's not an indication that you're doing something wrong, but that could be the best indication that you're doing something right and that the battle should not discourage you because it's just a part of the journey that God has for you. It says, after this... And then it goes on and it says in verse 20 and verse 2, some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army. What kind of army does it say? A vast army is coming against you from Edom. See, they could have just showed up and said, somebody's mad at you, right? He could have said, hey, there's some dudes who want to kill you. He could have said that. He could have said, the group could have said, hey, Jehoshaphat King just wants you to know that there's an army coming against you. But he said, there's a vast army coming against you. And it's as if God wants to make it plain to us through this story just how vast or intimidating this, this army is because you see those words, vast army, in verse 2. And then it says in verse 12, it was a vast army. And then it says in verse 15, it describes it this way, a vast army. And then when you get to verse 24, it describes it this way, vast army. How many of you are picking up on a little hint here? I want to make sure that the readers understand this was no small thing. It was a vast army. Any one of these armies coming against Jehoshaphat would have been a formidable opponent. It would have been reason enough for him to be concerned. Any one of them. But two of them? Wait a minute, man. Like you're backed up against the wall. Three of them? See, what we have to understand is this is an impossible situation. It's this picture of this infinitely insurmountable odds or situations where you don't stand a chance, Jehoshaphat. And for this story to really help you or for it to really help me, we've got to kind of climb into it a bit and put ourselves in Jehoshaphat's sandals. Are you with me right now? You got to get into it and feel his fear. You got to climb into it and sense his urgency. He and his family, the people, his entire army, they are about to be annihilated and there is no way out. Matter of fact, we know just because of their location, they're only about 15 miles away. And all of a sudden, this massive, this vast army is coming against them well how do you feel when something comes against you and that was uninvited uh but you're outnumbered or you're overwhelmed when you look at it you think man i can't fix this one you feel threatened well, look at how Jehoshaphat responded. It says in verse 3, Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. Can we go back to that first little word at the beginning? Because I don't know if it comforted you, but it made me feel just a little bit better about me. It says when he found out that he was under attack and that three armies were coming against him to annihilate him and his people, it says that Jehoshaphat was alarmed. I'm just thankful for that. 
Because if not, I would read scripture and I'd just say, man, they had something that I just don't have. Because I find myself at times in life facing situations to where my emotions can get a little bit crazy. Sometimes my body reacts out of fear. Sometimes I look at something and I can get a bit anxious. I mean, when it's overwhelming, when it's intimidating, when I'm surrounded and there's no way out, I can get a little panicked. How do you respond when you're looking at something that wants to destroy you? And when you do the math, you're like, yep, and it can. For him, he was alarmed, but he didn't stay there because courage is not the absence of fear. It's action in face of fear. In the face of facing something that's overwhelming, how did he respond? Well, he was afraid, but what did he do? Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. You see, there are a couple of things that have to do with encounter whenever we think about what Jehoshaphat did. He leaned into the Lord. What do you do? How do you respond? A lot of us, many times what we do whenever we have something come against us is that that we want to bow up, man up, woman up. We want to be strong enough. We got this figured out. And so we can lean on our own resources. It doesn't say that Jehoshaphat said, how many of them are there? And how many do we have? He didn't do that. He didn't say, somebody grab my spear. He didn't do that. He heard that situation and he said, we've got to go to the Lord. It's our only hope. Many turn to their own strengths. They turn to their own wisdom. They turn to their own resources. They take inventory of what we have. They look at the bank account. And if that's not enough, they say, well, I have this plastic card right here. Let's try this. Many turn to their vices, their old habits, their old ways. They turn to things that would, in the past they ran to for comfort or something to numb the pain. What do you do? When you feel surrounded, what do you do when you feel overwhelmed? What do you do when you're alarmed? What do you do when you're afraid? What do you do when all of hell is coming against you? What do you do? Some turn to drugs, some turn to alcohol. Some because they're having problems in their family. They run from their family as if they get away from that. Now they have no more problems. They make decisions. They make choices. It says that Jehoshaphat... Back to verses 3 and 4. Alarmed, he resolved to inquire of the Lord. And he proclaims a fast for all Judah. And verse 4 says, the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek God, to seek him. If you're taking notes and writing the points down, that would be awesome. I think that's a great practice to have. And point number one would be this. Know where to go before the battle hits. You see, he was certainly alarmed because of the reality. But if you see in the the chapters leading up to this, he was a man of worship. He knew where his go-to was. Now, in the past, he had made a mistake because he had consulted with Ahab, wicked King Ahab, and he allowed that voice to lead him into a battle that he had no business being a part of, and it nearly cost him his life. But now this time, when he's faced with the opportunity of how am I supposed to fight, what am I supposed to do, how am I supposed to respond, he didn't go to bad advice. He sought the face of God. He inquired of the Lord. And this is a powerful 
prayer that he reads as you read down through, or that he prays as you read down through this, you see that it's a strong reminder of who God is and what God has done. But you get it all summed up in verse 12. And here's what he says in verse 12. He says, Lord, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Like, what's your emergency plan? You know how you have your emergency plans, schools, how they're precautionary, you know, if, if this, then this. As a, as a family with six kids, we got an emergency plan for everything. You know, they went to bed, we got a plan for that. You know, <laughs> left a kid at Walmart, we got a plan for that. It's, which one is it? Yeah, we'll go back for them. But anyway, we have emergency plans, right? In case of a fire, in case of a tornado, what is your plan before the battle ever is? Have you already, he resolved to inquire the Lord. Have you already determined, here's where I go when it gets hard? Have you already made up your mind that it's going to be an encounter with God? And sometimes we can look at that and think, man, are you making this too easy? You know, just make it sound like if I do that, it's a magic wand and it all goes away. Uh, of the six kids, five of my kids are, are girls, five little girls. And so that means, you, you know, I was bound to have some cheerleaders in there, right? So what's really funny to me is when I go to watch, back in the day when, I don't have any cheerleaders right now, but when I would go and watch one of the girls cheer, it's really fun to me because they would be cheering for their team no matter what the score was, like the cheer really didn't change. You know, they'd just be cheering. They learned two or three little cheers, and so they just, you know, they cycle through one and then repeat. You know, they start over and go back on. But their team could have been behind by 225 points with two seconds left on the clock. And my little girl and the cheerleader, they're going, you can do it. You can do it. Yeah, I'm like. No, they can't. No, they can't. I mean, you know, you don't want to just like talk, but you're going, hey, that cheer doesn't work. And there are a lot of people. They're carrying stuff. They're dealing with heavy stuff. And then you get a preacher telling you something like this. And it sounds to you like you can do it. You and you're going, look at the scoreboard. Look at you. go. I can't. I can't do it. But see, what happens is before you ever step into the battle, you know that it's not about you looking around and, and trying to surmise what you can do on your own. It's not about you taking inventory going, how many javelins do we have? How many spears do we have? How many people do we have? Huh, any of them know karate? That's not what Jehoshaphat was doing. That's not what you and I are supposed to do. We determine now when life gets hard, I need an encounter with God. He says, we don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. It starts with humility. That's the heart of worship. There is a God and it's not me. God, I'm limited in what I can do, but you are unlimited. God, I have, I have restrictions. I only have limited amount of resources, but God, you can do all things. It starts with humility. We don't know what to do. But my eyes are on you. 
He's inviting the presence of God into his situation. He's asking the Lord for help. Remember the verse that we read about the presence of God? Psalm 22 and verse 3 says, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. King James Version says, You inhabit the praises of your people. He's saying, Listen, whenever you come into the presence of God, whenever you invite God into your situation, Whenever you take your eyes off of your problems and lift them up to the way maker and you begin to praise him, you begin to worship him, you've just invited all of heaven to come into your battle and God says, I've got you. Come on, praise him today if you're thankful for the fact that God is with you. We don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. And then in verse 15. God responds to his prayer, and he speaks to him through the prophet Jehaziel. And listen to what God says through the prophet to Jehoshaphat, verse 15. He says, listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. Now, I'm going to finish this, but somebody in here, you need to open your heart and be ready for this. Don't let this just, don't just tell your neighbor, wake up. I know you lost that hour last night, but you need to tell them this verse is for you right here. Listen, this is for somebody. I'm not up here going, you can't do it. You, no, I'm giving you truth right now. And this is a word for somebody today. You need to hear this. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. Listen, here it comes. Get ready. For the battle is not yours, but God's. The battle is not yours, but God's. You need to hear that because that's a specific word. Like that's something that's not just like this general thought. Every all, no, this is something that is specifically for somebody. I would say it this way by defining point number two. Let me give that to you, and it's this: point number two. God fights some battles with you, and others He fights for you. God fights some battles with you, and others He fights for you. Listen to what it says in verse seventeen: You will not have to fight this battle. Somebody say this battle. So he's saying to Jehoshaphat, and that's the why I'm saying it's a word for somebody today. God's saying to you, you will not have to fight this battle. Otherwise you'd be confused going, well, that's weird because he let me fight one last week. And if you stay with this sword, you're going to see in a little while, they're going to be reaching for their swords and javelins in times to come. You look at David, he had to grab the slingshot. Are you tracking with me? He says, for this battle, You have to understand that you've got to understand the nature of the battle if you're going to understand the right weapon. You've got to understand the nature of the battle, and you've got to have an encounter with God. Otherwise, you're going to be sizing things up. Anybody? How many we have? Where's the dude with the big biceps? How many can he handle? Okay, he can only handle three. Okay, you're going to be sizing everything up, and you will always, somebody say always, you will always fall short when you're trying to figure it out by yourself. But God speaks to him, and he says, you will not have to fight this battle. 
Without an encounter with God, without remembering that he inquired of the Lord and humbling himself and putting his eyes on the Lord, he may have bowed up. He may have listened to the wrong voices. He may have allowed pride to make a decision for him. Listen, if we're going down, we're going down fighting. Somebody grab a golf club. Somebody get a baseball bat. Somebody grab a pillow, a heavy one, a really heavy one. Hey, get whatever you get. Come on. If we're going down, we're going to go down swinging. And guess what? He would have gone down. God said, this is not your battle. Sometimes it takes more faith not to fight than it does to fight. I just wonder if there's somebody in here or, or watching online today or at one of our campuses that, that the Lord would be speaking to you and he's saying, you're fighting right now in a battle that is not yours. And you're out there kicking and screaming and swinging a sword and he's like, you're going to hurt yourself because you're not even supposed to be fighting. You're not supposed to fight this battle. Somebody say this battle. Like God's saying, I will fight for you. And listen to what he goes on to say. He says, take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. But look at what it says. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Here's where we can get confused. You think, okay, well, if God's going to fight for me, why am I staring at this big old ugly, nasty uh, army in front of me? Because I'm seeing it. But hear the word of the Lord. Just because God says you don't have to fight it doesn't mean that you won't have to face it. See, sometimes God brings you to a battle not because he needs your help. He just wants you to see and watch what he is about to do. He brought you to the show to say, you watch and see the deliverance that I have for you. But you got to trust him. Sometimes the greatest mark of spiritual maturity is not your willing to start throwing punches. If they had gone out there and started fighting with their fists, they would have lost. Sometimes it takes more spiritual maturity and depth to say, I'm not going to fight. Some of us are involved in fights right now, and you're not making it better. You're making it worse because you will not encounter the presence of God and obey the word of God and trust God and worship God to say, God, I cannot fix this. I need your help. And if you would, you might just hear God say to you, I got you. This is not your battle. This one I'm going to fight for you but man when things aren't going well we want to say I got this this is our American mindset I can fix this I can handle this and so we try and just maneuver we try and strategize and we just and it's not it's making it worse some of you, your marriage is, is going through difficulty. You're like, man, I got this. I know what I'm going to say. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to use wisdom. I'm going to use tact as I tell her how if she would change, everything would get better. I know what I'm going to do. You're fighting. It's not getting any better. You're like, man, I don't know why she won't respond. She just needs some sense. You know, she just needs to understand. And some of you are fighting. You wonder why your son won't respond. You wonder why your daughter won't have the right attitude or right response to your love, your teaching, your parenting. You got some friendship, you got some relationship, and you're trying everything that you can do to fix it. And what if God is saying to you today, this is not your fight. Quit fighting. I'm at work. I can do something if you will trust me, if you will allow me, if you will let me to come in and take care of this. I will fight 
for you. Some of you, God's word for you today is relax. Rest. Put your eyes on me. I've got you. Peter, put your sword away. That's not the fight we're fighting right now. Don't give the enemy the satisfaction of giving in to the distraction of fighting the wrong fights. I'll fight this one for you. You say, well, man, I hear all that. And I'd love to think that it would be that easy, but it just sounds too simple. Is there nothing I can do? Third and the final point, and it's this. There's something that you can do. Your worship is your weapon. Your worship is your weapon. See, you have to understand the nature of the battle so that you understand the appropriate weapon. And if we're not careful, we'll look at life, we'll look at challenges, trials, and battles through natural, earthly eyes, and then we'll start trying to pull earthly resources together to fight our way through it or out of that, and we'll miss out on the victory that God has for us because we're using the wrong weapons. How many Christians today are living in defeat because they're showing up to a gunfight with a pocket knife? A lot of us do. We're just fighting the wrong fight. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is a spiritual battle. God wants to break through in your situation. God wants to bring victory to your situation. The question is, have you learned to use the secret weapon of worship? Can you praise him before you see the victory? Can you worship him before you see the results? Can you glorify him before there's a change in the natural? Can you lift up worship to the Lord for Jehoshaphat? They worshiped before the battle. It says that in verses 18 and 19. They worshiped in the middle of the battle. You see that in verses 20 through 25. And they worshiped after the battle. You see that in verses 26 and following. What did they do? They worshiped the Lord. He knew that there was a vast army coming against him. That was not missed on him. But through his encounter with God, he also knew that he had the secret weapon of worship. He wasn't helpless. He worshiped. He knew that there was power in praise. And as a result, God gave them an amazing, amazing victory. Matter of fact, I just want to read it to you. And I want you to see where it begins in verse 20. In verse 20. Of, chap, uh, yeah, of chapter 20, it says, early in the morning, somebody say early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem, have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. And it says, after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. It says in verse 22, as they began to sing in praise, look at this, the Lord set 
ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. Some of you haven't heard a word that I've said this whole time about why you need to worship the Lord or praise the Lord until you just heard that when you start singing to God, he will send an ambush against your enemies. And some of you are like, hold up, wait, can you say that one more time? Strike up the band. I'm ready to pray. Listen, let me tell you something. God will send an ambush against those that are trying to destroy you when you quit fighting and you trust in him and begin to lift up his name. God will go out before you let worship be your weapon. I love what it says in verse 23. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. Did you catch that? They're fighting against each other. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. Like all, all, have you ever had God open doors that you didn't even knock on? Have you ever had God provide for something you didn't even know you needed and you were just like, well, thank you, Lord. Have you ever had God go before you? All you knew was, I didn't know what to do. I was just worshiping God. And God sends it. He will attack the very things that were attacking you. And those things that were meant to destroy you, God will use that to destroy themselves. God will use it to build your faith. He just says, you watch. You see. Get in your position because I'm about to give you deliverance. Come on, aren't you thankful for God's secret weapon of worship? We're talking about ways to praise. It's more than just clapping. Listen, you can go and clap at a baseball game. You can go and clap at a basketball game. But when you're worshiping the Lord, do you realize you're activating the weapon of worship? Listen, when we're lifting our hands to the Lord, when we're clapping our hands, Psalm 47, verse 1, oh, clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with a voice of triumph. Psalm 63, verse 4, I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. Listen, this is more than just some posture. Some of you, maybe you've even been practicing since last week. You're like, it's okay, Pastor Herbert said to bow is one of the things I'm supposed to do. So you went home and you knelt beside your bed and you began to worship God with a posture of humility. I say, man, use every way that you can praise, do it. Some of you, like you, you heard last week that you can dance before the Lord. It's a way that you worship. You're like, say what? Dance. Some of you are like, okay, I'm just going to bust a move. And then Pastor Herbert starts saying, hey, don't be that one. Don't be that one weird one that does and as you're worshiping God you're really saying look at me look at me so you're like what well, what about it what, how do you dance where do you dance some of you at home you're like maybe I just danced right here. you started dancing before the Lord some of you this week was like your first time to ever lift your hand you were scared out of your mind your heart was about to beat out of you thought everybody in the whole room was going to go why they got their hand up why is the speaker not calling on them? They got a question, but nobody's calling on them. Why would they? A lot of questions in this room. But no, you lift up your hands. Some of you begin to sing and lift your voice out loud. Why? Because you are learning that these are the ways that we praise. You are learning the, about the weapon of worship. And as you clap, as you lift your hands, God says, I go before you. You watch and see if I will not bring about a great deliverance on your behalf. God will use the weapon of worship. 